Thank you for joining us here on The Mom Show on My Talk 1071. I'm Shannon, joined uh, by my friend from Sheridan and Doulas. Deanne Doulas is here giving us some legal advice. I uh, just want to remind you this is general information, not legal advice. If you have any specific questions, you need to seek the assistance of an attorney and address your specific situation. Uh, but we do take your questions here. If you need some ballpark answers, yes. you can call in and, and, and be part of the show. The number is 651-641-1071. That's 651 and I, and I don't I don't want to say this like I'm bragging, Deanne, um, but I wish uh, there's two things. One, I wish I had known you when I was going through my divorce. But every time you come on the show, I do feel like I did do some things correctly. Oh, that's there's awesome. Some, there are like there's some drama that I'm like, oh, I dodged that drama bullet. Good. I'm glad I didn't have to deal with that in my divorce because it is a very complicated oh yeah and emotionally charged situation understandably so it's it's well it's your whole life right right? and so when we're talking about finances and especially folks that have gotten into some financial trouble during their marriage this isn't just about you know what i'd like to see happen right sometimes it's about revenge but a lot of times it's just about survival yes right being able to put a roof over your head and a roof over the your kids heads and just making ends meet and when you've got one spouse who's living very well and their lifestyle hasn't changed at all and you're living in a two-bedroom apartment and trying to just get by right um it's really really hard and it's there's a lot of desire to be just done with the process and just you know look be i just want to move on i want to move on but there are some fights that are worth it and that you need to get some good information about to know that you're not spending 500 dollars chasing 50 right that is totally reasonable again the number here on the mom talk on the mom show is 651 651- 651-641-1071. That's 651-641-1071. Back to the topic of spousal maintenance. Yes. And you went through uh, a definition of what the changes were going to be. So we should probably sum that up again real quickly. All right. So if you are a person paying spousal maintenance up until this point, you've been able to deduct those spousal maintenance payments from your gross income every year. So you get a lot of tax savings by paying that spousal maintenance. Okay. And then the person who received the maintenance would normally take that income that they received and report it on their taxes. And there is often a big tax savings there for folks because we've got the higher income earner at a higher tax rate being able to deduct income and adding that income to another person's income, but at a lower tax rate. Right. So we were often able to save a lot of money in that equation, and it kind of softened the blow of paying spousal maintenance because we knew we were lowering that tax budget or tax bill for the person paying it. And now, uh, very soon, they're going to take that away from us. Now, why do you think they're making that change? Well... The the information that I've seen so far basically says is that, well, everybody paying maintenance certainly deducted it off of their taxes because that, that's of course, the, <laughs> that is the carrot right. um, for paying it. Not everybody receiving it reported it as income. And so they lost a lot of money in tax revenue by shifting that income in that way. And so the, the idea is, is that this was one of the mechanisms that they were trying to use to recapture some tax income uh, to balance the budget. Well, as an attorney that's going to be dealing with the uh, the families that are in this scenario, how are you 
getting, uh, how are you preparing to soften this blow or explain this or try to not have it become even more emotionally charged now that it'll feel like more of a penalty? Well, it's really going to change all of the mechanisms that we've used previously for doing this calculation, even how we calculate child support, because the child support calculator that's online right now has spousal maintenance shifting as a gross income shift before we calculate child support. Now it's going to be a net income shift and we're going to have to just completely rewrite the books on how we're going to do those calculations. And it is going to make things a lot more complicated. Uh, And also just that fear that we now have no financial incentives at all for the person who's going to be paying it to try to soften the blow of, you know, why paying spousal maintenance isn't such a bad thing. And unlike we uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did talk about how here in Minnesota we calculate child support. So yeah. there's an equation out there. It's a kind of a complicated equation, mm-hmm. but there is an equation. There is an equation. And, and there's not one for spousal maintenance, though. No, that's, okay. that's our number one thing that we're we need to understand is that. Unlike child support, spousal maintenance does not have a formula. So you can take the same set of facts to 10 different judges and get 10 different answers. And as long as that judge can justify the number that they came up with, that's going to be the right number. Okay, your life is getting very complicated, Deanne. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I'm glad you were out there to help figure this out. So, okay. What? Okay, so we were going to go through the 10 things that you need to know Mm -hmm. about spousal maintenance. So I think that we kind of covered one already, like the unlike child support. That's Mm -hmm. different. So what do we need to cover next? Well, it's also important for people to understand that there are multiple factors that the state of Minnesota takes into account when we're determining spousal maintenance, right? It is not simply about uh, you make more money than me, and so therefore you're going to pay me spousal maintenance. Mm -hmm. They really do break it down into a number of different factors, which is in part part of the reason why when we're in front of a judge and asking a judge to make this decision, we can get just wildly different outcomes with similar facts. Okay. All right. And so let's go to the phone real quick. So Sally, thank you for calling us here on the mom show. Hi. Hi. So Sally, are you currently going through a divorce? Yes. All right. So what's your question for Deanne? Okay. We have a bunch of rental property and my husband is going to take it and he is offsetting it by giving me cash yes and if i get that cash is that taxable all right so if if you're talking about the value of the rental properties themselves when he's paying you cash and he's keeping the value of the rentals that's considered a property division Uh, it's not a division of income and so that's a non-taxable transfer So if you've got rental properties that are worth $100,000 and he's giving you $100,000, then that's non-taxable money to you. What you do need to be careful with, though, with rental property is that it's often not just a dollar-for-dollar split like that. You know, know, if this was a, a car... Then, and you had a $10,000 car and he gave you $10,000, that would be even. But you also right. want to consider in rental properties that you often have a lot of different tax components to that. So either some carry-forward losses, you also have a potential an income stream from those properties. Uh, 
that and he's also going to be building equity. So even though this isn't a taxable transfer. Thank you for joining us here on The Mom Show on My Talk 1071. I'm Ms. Shannon, joined from Health Foundation's Birth Center uh, from Dr. Amy Johnson Grass. She is here, the uh, founder, the chief poobah over at Health Foundation's <laughs> Birth Center. All things amazing over at Health Foundations. And I'm glad that we're laughing um, at this morning because uh, the topic that we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, sleep and, and sleep as a parent, sleep with a kid. And it doesn't work out as easy as you think it would be. And I think that it's one of those things that you really just don't know what to expect. But you see these stories, you know, on on TV of like these amazing babies sleeping and the babies are so cute when they they're sleeping. Sleep. No, <laughs> Let's just be honest. Right. I'm like, they're up all the time. How do, what are they doing? Like, how do they do that? And so we're going to cover that this morning. We're also going to take your questions. If you have a question for Dr. Amy, you can call us here at the mom show at 651-641-1071. That's 651-641-1071. And, and I know we just said they don't sleep, but as a parent, when you have a baby, or even a kid, let's cover what we should expect. Like what's quote unquote normal, Dr. Amy? Yeah, I think it's good to know what to set your expectations at Mm -hmm. and then, you know, kind of go from there. Okay. And I'll just preface today by saying, you know, this is, I put all of this newborn sleep information together, partly from, I mean, everybody knows there's so many books out there. Right. There's so many resources. And then my experience as a mom, Yes. You know, I have, I always mention, I have a nine-year-old and 11-year-old, Isla and Liam, and I have the two opposite spectrums. Okay. You know, and I think this is true with a lot of firsts. Firsts really give us a run for our money. <laughs> right. And we're learning, mm-hmm. right? We make all of our mistakes with our first, and then we're like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> and then subsequent children, you're like, you're still learning, but you're like, okay, I've already really learned. Yes. So this is what we're going to do with everybody else. But, you know, Liam, who's our now 11-year-old, he he was a stinker. Yeah. So, you know, he is the one that we would put in a sling. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking over very early on and my husband would be sitting up in bed with Liam in a sling and he'd be sleeping. Yes. Because that's the only way we could get him to sleep. We were also that crazy family in the middle of winter at two o'clock in the morning who would wrap everybody up, put everybody in the car. Yes. In a snowstorm and drive the two blocks <laughs> up and down our street. Because that's the our only child thing would he would do. Asleep. I I totally can relate to all of that. Where once you find something that works, as ridiculous as it is, oh yeah, you keep doing it. Oh yeah, and you know if I, you know, early on, I don't feel like we had Facebook. I didn't take so many pictures, but I would have loved to catalog how many naps we took in the car Mm, with Liam. uh In like I did that in the garage, Uh so we would like get there if he was sleeping in the car, we would just shut the garage door, and all of the whole family would just nap sitting in the car. Uh Yeah, exactly. So when Isla came along, I thought, oh, well, of course, their personalities are different. She is, you know, Liam's not a great sleeper. He still isn't always a great sleeper. We'll talk about that, too, about what what happens with kids. But Isla, I was like, okay, we're doing this different this Mm -hmm. time. And so we made a little bit different choices along the way. And I think, well, it worked out a little bit better. She's an awesome sleeper. She puts herself to bed. Mm -hmm. She wakes up. I mean. Whew, thank goodness. <laughs> but, you know, when they're newborns, it's really to think about, okay, newborns sleep about 16 to 18 hours a day. Right. So you wonder, why in the world am I so tired? Mm-hmm. The problem is they only stay asleep for about two, maybe at most four hours. But right. when you really think about it, if a newborn is up every two hours, that means you're up every two hours. Right. 
especially in the beginning in those first couple of weeks that I always say, families, please remember those first two weeks are the hardest yes. and it keeps getting better. Okay. So really muscle through those two weeks, but, um, sleep when your baby sleeps Yes, and know that, you know, they don't know their sleep and wake cycles. Okay. It's not really a time to think about sleep scheduling yet. Okay. And really infant feeding is the thing that's driving a lot of their sleep and wake. Okay. So, you know, newborns eat about every two to three hours or on demand. Yes. And so if they're eating every two to three hours, that means you're up every two to three hours. Yes. The clincher is, so you feed baby and then you change their diaper and then you put clothes on and then they poop again. Yes. And then, so all of a sudden a whole hour has gone by and it's, you're like, oh my gosh, now I have to maybe eat something myself or whatever that looks like. Or maybe like, squeeze in a shower or, maybe. you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> and then it's like, oh my gosh, we're starting that cycle all over again of feeding again every two to three hours. So I think just knowing that that's normal is okay. Mm-hmm. And then infants too, they cluster feed okay. at some point. And, this and what happens, do you mean by that? Yep. So, and this happens for several months. So there's a time in the day when you think, oh my gosh, we just fed baby, but they want to eat, 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 eat. Mm-hmm. And so they might eat every half hour, every hour for a good two to three, four hour chunk. Okay. And then be like, okay, now I'll space back out to that every two to three hours. <laughs> All right. So to have one of those cluster feedings during the day, and I always say a lot of times it can be in the later afternoon, early evening. So that four to six time, but that's not a given. Yeah. And so it can really happen at any time during the day. It can happen at two o'clock in the morning might be where baby likes to cluster feed. And so, um, that is why I think parents initially feel so exhausted. Okay. And you know, it's okay. But the big thing and the key to this is truly to sleep when baby sleeps. I remember when uh, Cyclone Kid was younger, we would talk about, uh, people would tell me about the witching hour. Like there'd be a time during the day when he was just crabby all the time. And it seemed oh, yes. to be for a pretty, uh, is that normal? Is back yes. to what I was talking about normal, where it's like, this is the time of day the baby's crabby. Yes. Okay. And what is it that actually, is there a reason why that causes that? Or are they just, they're not there. Is this around their cluster feeding time or something to do with their sleeping or what usually causes that? You know, I guess I've never really thought about a cause. I've just okay. really thought about of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, for us, it was always, always between four and four thirty until yeah. about seven. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like nothing that we would really would do work. Baby was completely crabby. Right. And, you know, it's a lot of times I always think those witching hours mm-hmm. are also coincide with the times when you're just like, oh, my gosh, I'm done for the day. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, I am not because now you don't like me. Why are yes. you so mad? at like? Because for us, it was a similar. It was around five o'clock. Yeah. He'd just get crabby. Yeah. And nothing. The only thing that would work is like I could carry him and wander around in a circle, basically. And he'd go, all right. But if you sit down. I'm mad again, uh-huh. you know, and I just always thought that that was interesting because you hope that that's a wives tale. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to think that that was just something that somebody told me that wasn't really going to happen. And then I had that kid that was crabby every afternoon. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. And I think, too, for if there's um, one of the parents who are staying home initially and then the other parent comes home, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times that other parent comes home right around that time when babies are most crabby. Right. And I think just recognizing that it is kind of that witching hour and it doesn't correlate with one partner or the other with baby, because sometimes I see dads or partners really feel 
bummed. Yeah. Like, okay, I get these couple hours with baby in the evening and I come home and they're crabby. Yeah. And know that it's just, you know, it's for a period of time, but also it, it it's, it's normal. Okay. It can be really normal. And I think too, you know, talking about a little bit in those early days, you know, initially, um, if you're breastfeeding, you know, moms will really want to establish breastfeeding. And so that nursing every two to three hours um, or on demand. However, you know, as those first couple of weeks go by, if moms want to be pumping mm-hmm. a little bit during the day or in the morning, you know, that's something that maybe one or two of the feedings overnight can be handled by dad or the partner. Gotcha. Okay. And that's a great bonding time for dad and baby or partner and baby. And um, it really gives them an opportunity, but it also gives a chance for mom to sleep. Sleep. Yes. And we all need a little bit more sleep, I'm and sure. Sometimes it just lends to more sanity. I think and especially, you know, we see moms, you know, for the delivery, we do a home visit, we talk them around one week. But when we see them for their two week visit at the office, um, that is maybe around the time when babies start once in a while sleeping a little longer, but definitely at their six week visit, we start saying moms. So at their two week visit, moms look dead and tired. Yes. And then at their six week visit, they say, oh my gosh, baby's sleeping for three hours at night. And there's like this big smile (laughs) on their face. And they're like, oh my gosh, I feel like a new person. (laughs) And you're like, yes, I know. Even that little bit longer of sleep can make a huge difference. And Dr. Amy, you said that you changed some some strategies from your first child to your second. So what are a couple of the things that you did differently so what we're going to be talking about next Mm -hmm. is you know i mentioned there's all of these resources right all of these books about cry it out don't cry it out family sleep don't family sleep co-sleep don't close sleep truly i think however you want to sleep figure that out right and be good be happy with it and then pick your strategies okay But there's one group of strategies in particular that I've really found, regardless of how you choose to sleep your baby, really work. All right. I'm excited to share that with all of our listeners here on My Talk 1071. We'll be right back with Dr. Amy Johnson-Grass from Health Foundation's Birth Center here on The Mom Show on My Talk 1071. Very true what Kesha says in that song. I wish that somebody would have told me that. And that is what we're doing this morning with Dr. Amy Johnson-Grass from Health Foundation's Birth Center. We are giving you some information that you wish you had had. Like if you have a wonky kid that doesn't sleep right. We are freeing you from thinking that you are doing something wrong. That's just what happens sometimes, isn't what we're saying? What you're saying, Dr. Amy? Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So if you have any questions and you would like to speak with Dr. Amy, you can call us here at 651-641-1071. That's 651-641-1071. And today we're talking about babies and kids and how they sleep. So this is it. Mm -hmm. This is the key. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's ready. Drum roll. Here we go. All right. Okay. So we hear about all of these techniques um, that work to help babies soothe, Mm -hmm. really, and help sleep. But there's one resource that I found over the years that works really well because it puts all of these techniques together. And it's called Happiest Baby on the Block. Okay. And I think a lot of people have probably heard about it Mm -hmm. or have thought, oh, yep, that's one of those resources that 
are out there. Like yes. the name that you know, it's by Dr. Carp, K-A-R-P. And this is something um, that I really recommend all families watch the DVD okay. or the video. Okay. There's a book, but it's really the, it's really the video that's going to be helpful. And it's not long. Okay. Because these techniques are things that you need to see how they work. Right. You can't just read about them. Ah, so when you it's 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 much better in this particular case to have the visual. Yes. You know, okay. So the happiest baby on the block really talks about what's called the five S's. Okay. It's swaddle, side or stomach position, shush, swing, and suck. Okay. And so you do them in that order. And what happens is sometimes it's it's always normally a combination of these things that really works. Right. Sometimes things work on their own, but if you really have that difficult child or that difficult sleeper or that baby who does not like to nap. Yes. You know, these are the things that I really recommend that you try. And early on in my career, I was doing more home visits. So I would go into people's homes, especially in those first few weeks. And I remember sometimes getting calls in the middle of the night and parents were just at their wits end. And I would drive out to their house and I'd be like, okay, we're going to learn these techniques that we'd learn them really in about 10 or 15 minutes. Okay. I would do it with baby. Baby would calm. We would do it with the parents. So that they felt like they knew they had the techniques and we were good to go. Okay. And granted, I mean, it's a learning curve. It's something you need to practice. Will all babies absolutely follow this? You know, no, nothing right. is an absolute, right? However, I really think that um, this is really a wonderful start for parents. And it's Happiest Baby on the Block. Happiest Baby on the Block by Dr. Carp, K-A-R-P. So the first um, thing that he talks about, and remember, it's the five S's. So okay. the first S is swaddle. And we actually put together a video at the birth center this week, and it's um, going to be up on the Mom Show Perfect. Um, Facebook page. So look for it there. But it's really just a reminder of the best way to swaddle baby. Because I think sometimes people, it's it's amazing how many people don't necessarily know how to swaddle. Right. So you over swaddle or you turn them into like a little baby burrito, and maybe that's not the right way to do it. No, actually, that's really perfect. But okay. sometimes it doesn't stay or... Who knows? Okay. Not tight enough. Because, you know, if you think about babies, they've been in this little water balloon. Yes. And, you know, if you ask to see your placenta after you deliver mm-hmm. and somebody holds up that um, amniotic sac or when you think my water broke, you know, yes. that water balloon that breaks, you actually see where baby has lived for the last nine months. Mm-hmm. And it truly is this large water balloon. And I always say it's so amazing to me to see babies, moms holding babies, and then to look at that sack and think, how is it possible that two or three hours ago that that baby actually fit in that water balloon? <laughs> right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really how tight they are in there. And so once they're delivered and they're out in the world and there's gravity, you know, you see these babies startle. That's a normal reflex. But really, gravity is on them. Mm-hmm. And they aren't, you know, in this tight cocoon of a water balloon anymore. So that swaddling helps kind of bring them back to a familiarity, to a place that they know. Right. You know, there's swaddle blankets. There's those really gauzy blankets that mm-hmm. have a little bit of stretch. You don't want to have the cotton um, receiving blankets that, that are really, that they don't have any stretch. Okay. Because you need a little bit of stretch when you swaddle. Mm-hmm. There's also these things that are like cocoons where you just zip baby in. So you put baby in. Um, I, the brand that I know is called Wombi, W-O-O-M-B-I. And you can look, find them online. I'm sure you can find them at some of the baby stores in the area. And it takes the mystery out of swaddling. So really, it's just you put baby in this little cocoon, you zip them up, 
done. See, I think that that's, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I have a friend who just had a baby uh, two months ago. And so I've been looking for strategies to help her out. So now I know that that's, if I'm going to get her something, yeah. instead of sending wine, this is what I'll get. Is I'll, oh, like, I'll yes. send a wombi. That's what they need is they need sleep. So I'm they like, that'll sleep. be great. Mm-hmm. And so um, that swaddle, again, it's just a familiarity. It keeps babies in nice and tight. The things that I like about some of the swaddle blankets and the wombies is, you know, what you hear from parents when you swaddle is baby kicks out or they want their arms out right. or, you know, whatever that might be. And some of these swaddle blankets are like the wombies. They still allow baby to have a little bit of that flexibility. So they have a little bit of that stretch and um, they can be a little bit happier that way. Dr. Amy, let's go to the phones for just a second. So uh, we've been giving some great suggestions. And Terry, um, Terry, are you a mom? I am. And so how many kids I do you have? A, I had a baby when I was 50. I am a massage therapist for over 25 years. I worked on my child as soon as she was born with cranial sacral therapy awesome. and myofascial release. Okay, everybody, everybody slow the, down. Wait, you just said a bunch of words. <laughs> that probably I have, no one knows. I have no idea what either of you are talking about, but Dr. Amy got excited as well, Terry. So say okay. that again more slowly. Okay, uh, I am a massage therapist. I have been in the field over 25 years. I worked on my child as soon as she was born with the cranial sacral therapy and myofascial release. Within two weeks, she was sleeping all night. All right, that's now amazing. let's pause you. Yes. So now, Dr. Amy, what, is, what, what did Terry just say that she did? So <laughs> I think the two things that I heard mm-hmm. were cranial sacral therapy and that you're a massage therapist, and massage for babies is amazing. Okay. It's amazing. It, it really totally is amazing. amazing. I, have, I work on babies a lot. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, it's a great, great, great resource. And I think, um, especially, I'm going to focus a little bit on the massage and then we'll talk a little bit about craniosacral therapy. Okay. So I think for a massage, and, and you can chime in, Terry, too, because you do this all the time, that it's a really wonderful way for mom and baby to bond. Okay. It's a Absolutely. really wonderful way to, you know, just think as an adult how awesome and amazing you feel after a massage. Right. You know, it's really calming for babies as well in a similar way to have that contact, you know, to have, you know, it stimulates different nervous systems and it stimulates babies sometimes to, you know, calm instead of be up and awake. And so um, a lot of times, too, you know, we were talking, you know, on break, you can add in some essential oils and Mm -hmm. those can also be calming. And so really wonderful. I think it's a great, wonderful resource, especially for sleep, but just in general for mood for babies and for moms and, and families, period. Right. It's a, it's a real important factor because as the baby is, depending on how they are born, some doctors many years ago, as we know, the babies were pulled out. Yep. In the back of the neck are a lot of learning disorders that form if the baby is not in the proper function. So that's what we have to always remember. And a lot of times people come to me and say, what should I do during my birth in regards to after? And I suggest, let's talk about cranial psychotherapy. We're going to get the body back into its proper functioning. It's going to grow in a proper manner. And it's going to enjoy that touch. And it's so relaxing that I think the first thing my daughter did, which again, she fell asleep within just a couple of weeks all night long. It was a, it was a total miracle. It was yeah. <laughs> so really good resources. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, you. Terry. We appreciate You're you doing so that. Thank you for having me. That is the other uh, thing that I love about talking with you, Dr. Amy, is that you do bring up some things that we don't 
automatically hear about um, and, and going, well, this might be an option for you and providing a broad range of options for mm-hmm. moms and babies that are out there. So I, I did actually a mom and baby massage mm-hmm. with um, both of my kids when they were little. Um, a really good resource, and I believe they still teach it, is um, Bluma in the Twin Cities has great um, massage classes for moms and babies. They also have mom and baby yoga, mm-hmm. which I think is another really good option for families. Um, but I, it's a really nice, easy technique, and it's not difficult. Okay. So simple. Yes. I want to put in here, too, and I was going to talk a little bit about this later, but I think this is a really nice um, thing to just put in here. There's going to be a point when babies are good sleepers. Yes. And, you know. Um, and you'll you know, go, angels smile down upon yes. us. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And then maybe three months will go by, and then all of a sudden, babies or toddlers or even a little bit older children don't sleep as well anymore. Right. And, you know, there's a couple of things I want to remind parents. For us, it was generally every three to six months. And I'm going to specifically talk about Isla. Every three to six months, she would forget how to sleep. Okay. And it's either she was learning something new, she was going through a growth spurt, or whatever that might be. But it was almost like we needed two weeks. Mm -hmm. And it really was that 10 to 14 days where we just needed to remind her how to sleep again. Okay. So it was like I had to pull out my arsenal okay, and say, okay, we're going to do this specific routine and massage and a bath and this and that. And really, it, it was reminded me, when the first time it happened, it was like, oh my God, what happened? She's not <laughs> sleeping again. I broke her. How did I break her? Well, not only that, you're like, oh my God, we were getting sleep and now we're not sleeping again. I can't do this. Right. But, you know, I started noticing this pattern and I'm like, huh. And I started talking to more and more parents over the years. And it's something that I think a lot of parents experience, but nobody talks about. The one thing that I find that really helps when this starts is if you are open to chiropractic care for your kids, to really bring them into a chiropractor who knows children and get them adjusted. Okay. Because a lot of times what's happening when you're when it's cyclic like that around every three to six months is their bodies are learning something new. Maybe they're crawling, maybe they're walking, or they're integrating something new into their learning. And they're kind of, if you think about it, their bodies are excited. Okay. And they want to keep doing it and they want to learn more. You know, getting adjusted for kids um, can really help them integrate those new things in. When I'm speaking to a potential chiropractor, how? what question do I ask other than just, have you ever worked on a kid? Like, how do I yeah. know to, to make that proper decision? So oftentimes the chiropractors who are really kid friendly, um, you will know it by things like their um, website or, you know, a lot of times there's um, a pediatric chiropractic association they might okay. belong to. Um, I believe there's a certification for pediatrics or you'll see that it truly is a focus of their practice. Okay. Um, Amber Morvec, who's the chiropractor in our office, she really specializes in pregnancy, women's health, and kids. Okay. And you know that when you see her. All right. You know? But it's a good to ask, um, just to say, hey, you know, what are the most common things you treat? How do you adjust kids? You know, adjusting kids should be really fairly gentle. Mm-hmm. It's not like an adult, adult adjustment. Right. It shouldn't be anything scary for kids. Um, you know, I know we started um, getting our kids adjusted really early on and it's just something that then now they know how to do and they run in and they lay on the table <laughs> and they're like, okay, Dr. Amber, we're going to get our popcorns checked today, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's just something that they know and she's never made it scary and they feel good. 
Outstanding. So those are just kind of things to think about. And I know that we have some more tips that are coming up when we come back. What do you want to cover last? So we're going to do the four other S's. And then I really want to talk about when's kind of the make it or break it time to decide on how you're going to sleep your baby. All right. That is coming up here on The Mom Show with Dr. Amy Johnson-Grass from Health Foundations. We'll be right back. Here we are on The Mom Show. Happy Sunday to you. Thank you for joining us. We're also joined from Health Foundation's Birth Center over in St. Paul. Dr. Amy Johnson-Grass is with us again this morning. And Dr. Amy, thank you so much for bringing up uh, the fact that it's okay if your kid doesn't sleep. You know, it's something, it's the <laughs> worst kept, it is. <laughs> it's the worst kept secret out there. Like you don't, it's one of those things where, you know, I, sometimes I do feel bad going, no, my kid doesn't sleep, but he doesn't, you know, he's 10. And he, it, as you mentioned in the last segment, They'll do well for a while and then fall off the good sleeping train and mm-hmm. it's hard to get them back on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think so with the newborn piece. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about those five S's. Yes. So swaddle we talked about. I want to talk about the last four S's and then the really important thing at the end okay. is really when the make it or break it. All right. To make that choice as to how you're going to sleep your baby. So um, the next S is side or stomach position. Okay. Because um, when babies are sleeping on their sides or their stomach, and I know the recommendation is babies sleep on their back or their side. So really where your comfort zone is. So say we're laying baby on their side, it signals their nervous system to shut down and rest. Okay. When we sleep babies on their back, it signals their nervous system to be awake. Okay. And if you think about all of the um, brightness out in front of them, it really uh, jives them or kind of revs them up. them up. Mm-hmm. So side or stomach position. And then the other piece is, you know, they talk about the shh, the shush. Yes. And you think about, you know, when babies are inside mommy's tummies, that is kind of what they're hearing. You know, it's like that when you think about going underwater in a pool. Yes. That shh is really what you're hearing. So that's why it's soothing when they're out even. Yes. That shh. And it's not just a shh when they're far away when you're holding them. You're actually swaddled baby, holding them on their side, and next to their ear, you're shh. Okay. And it really helps. It's kind of that white noise. Then you can also, you know, if you need to add in a swing, Mm -hmm. that's why I say this, the watching the video is so helpful because it helps integrate it all together. And then the last piece is a suck. And so oftentimes people talk about like a pacifier, a nookie of some sort. And I think they're completely fine. Okay. You know, I am not an anti-nookie, anti-pacifier person. You know, I've talked to tons of pediatric dentists about what's better, a pacifier or a thumb. Yes. And hands down, everybody says a pacifier because one, you can take it away. Yes. And, you know, there might be a little bit of shift in the teeth from my understanding, but once you take it away, they shift back. Okay. Versus a thumb, it is doing permanent changes to the palate, to the teeth, and that's something and one, probably you can't a more just diffi- take yeah, thumb it's away. it's a difficult thing to break that <laughs> habit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, you know, a little tidbit here and there. So the swaddle, side or stomach position, the shush, the swing, and the suck. Okay. Those are kind of your wheelhouse you know that's kind of your toolkit and so if your baby is getting to the point that they do well at that and then you find them going through that cycle where now they're not sleeping as well you just go back to that toolkit and start over again start over again i really would think about you know i think the um the caller was right think about the massage okay think about getting an adjustment with mm-hmm. a chiropractor um i think those then you start bringing in some of those other 
resources, but I think this is truly a really great place to start for the beginning. Okay. Okay. The one thing I do want to mention that I think is so valuable is around nine months, babies really start, you know, standing up on their own. If they're in a crib, they start standing up and holding on to the edge of the crib. Yes. I always say, however you want to sleep, if you're co-sleeping, if you're do a family bed, if you do a crib, you know, there's really no right or wrong way. Okay. I'll just be honest. Mm -hmm. I think it's truly whatever your family is choosing that works best for you. However, at before nine months, you know, eight to nine months, make your choice. Right. So if you want a baby to be sleeping on their own in a crib, Mm -hmm. you need to be working up to that prior to nine months. Right. Because here's the deal. Once they can stand up and once they can protest. Right. Yeah. Okay. You need to make the decision before that. All right. Because I think it just starts getting more difficult because when, um, when, (laughs) When babies start having a little bit more say, (laughs) they are full of opinions. You don't know where, you know, the opinion is the the opinion is pronounced once they get to that age. Like we moved our son into uh, a a toddler bed a lot sooner than a lot of Uh things were. But that's because he did. He was so big. He was trying, you know, his protest was, I'm just going to climb out of this thing. Uh And so I'm like, I would rather have him be in this bed and practice trying to talk him into staying in the bed than him flipping himself out of the crib trying to escape. Absolutely. So that was what we had to do. And I'm like, I know, let's get him a cute bed. Get in your bed. Yes. So. So that works. Mm -hmm. You know, we, when we started with our first, we did a lots of co-sleeping, which really worked well for our family. Mm -hmm. And when we had our second um, with Isla, you know, I really, my husband, I really made that choice that we really wanted Isla. Sure. We did a lot of napping together and she doesn't mean that she never slept with us because that was a really special time. But for the most part, I really wanted her to be an independent sleeper. Right. Because, um, it made me a better mom. Mm-hmm. I felt like it made her mood better. Yes. So what I started doing was uh, naps in the crib. Okay. Or, um, you know, maybe I would put her, maybe we would do a little bit of playtime in the crib. So she got familiar with it. And I did this. It was a comfy space for her yes. now. Mm-hmm. And it was a time when she still wasn't necessarily sitting up or... Um, you know, she didn't have that protest of standing on the okay. <laughs> edge of the crib. <laughs> right. But it would be shorter periods of time. I felt like it was a nicer transition. Um, and then we just transitioned that time a little bit more over time. And, you know, until it was in the evening, I remember the first time we put, decided to put her in her crib to try and sleep in the evenings in right. between, you know, I am um, in between nursing. And so you know, we would lay her down and we'd comfort her and, you know, um, we do our little routine. And I think that's important. It's important to have a routine. Right. Um, and, you know, it worked. And partly it was our personality. Partly it was our persistence. Partly it was kind of how we transitioned in. But again, this was our second. Yes. And so, you know, I just hope that these tips and tricks will help families maybe just think about sleep a little bit differently. But I can't tell you how about that nine months makes a difference. And I think uh, one of the things I appreciate you sharing, Dr. Amy, is again, like there are lots of different strategies out there, but it kind of seems one of the things we're talking about this morning is that you can try a strategy. If it doesn't work for you, it's okay to pivot and try something else. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I understand you read something like I remember uh, everybody telling us you have to do, using the word have, the cry it out. 
Right. That didn't work for my personality. I can't. I just couldn't. I felt no peace at all trying to do it. My ex-husband, he was much better at being, okay, this is what we're doing. It's the best friend. He could could power through it. I just couldn't. Yeah. And I think, too, the cry it out. I get this question all the time. They're like, Amy, what should we do? We hear about this cry it out method. We Mm -hmm. hear about, you know, kind of a combination where you let them... Um, cry a little bit and see if they'll self-soothe and then you go in and you rub their back and then you come out. You know, I'm not a fan of cry it out. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. And all the research supports that, that it doesn't serve the children or right. babies to cry it out. And then there's some happy mediums in there. Um, I do think, however, for the first whimper, the first, you know, cause babies will self wake, you know, wake themselves up and they'll kind of readjust and then a lot of times if you give them a minute or two you know they might resettle okay yeah and so i think sometimes as parents we're really gung-ho to be like oh my gosh baby's up yes and we're up right away and sometimes we are actually establishing and making those a little bit of bad habits okay um uh, not always, but I think, you know, it's cognizant to say, hey, let's just see how babies are going to do on their own for a few so minutes. So just listen. Just listen. Just listen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you know, and there's all these video monitors these days mm-hmm. or however that looks for you in your comfort zone um, to kind of be thinking about that way. You know, if that transition is hard. So if you decide, okay, this is how we're going to sleep, baby. And I always say, whatever you choose to do, and if you're in the protesting stage already, nine plus months, and you're choosing after they're kind of already in that protest stage, <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. That's right. kind of a bad thing. You know, it takes a good two weeks. You have to be good as a parent, whatever you're choosing to be that schedule right. for two weeks. I want everybody to hear that. Okay. Because on day three, four, five, you start losing your resolve because you get tired. Yes. You can't lose your resolve. You really have to stick with it for the two weeks. And around that two-week mark is when you start seeing good change. Sometimes okay. it's sooner, but really, if you are just dog tired and you're like, okay, this is how we want to do it. You know, we start with the bath and then we read a book and then we lay baby down and this is how we're going to soothe baby to get baby to sleep. And you don't feel like you have that resolve in the beginning. I highly recommend asking grandma, a friend, somebody else to just come over for the weekend and you to take a weekend away. Ah, okay. It's really hard for sometimes parents to hear that. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you need some sleep. Often you and your partner need a little bit of a reconnect time. Grandmas and friends, they're well slept. If they don't get sleep for a weekend, not a bad, <laughs> not a, not bad. Thank you so much for saying that. It's okay to get some help out there. We're going to make sure all of this information is on the Mom Show page. You can go and get that at mytalk1071.com, keyword Mom Show. And of course, always go to the Health Foundations website, health-foundations.com. Thank you, Dr. Amy. We'll be happy to talk to you next time. Thanks, Shannon.